This episode is brought to you by Malomo. Malomo offers Shopify brands the tools to turn shipping from a cost center into a profitable marketing channel through branded shipment emails and order tracking pages. This episode is also brought to you by Outer. Outer creates the world's most comfortable, durable, and sustainable furniture made from proprietary fabrics that are both eco-friendly and water, stain, fade, and mold-resistant. This episode is brought to you by Gorgeous. In case you don't already know, Gorgeous is the leading customer support platform built for e-commerce companies. Stay tuned to hear from Alexandra Collis, the Director of Customer Experience for Princess Polly, an online fashion powerhouse, to hear how Gorgeous enables Princess Polly to manage all of their customer service channels in one place. Stay tuned for some special offers from our amazing sponsors exclusively for Stairway to CEO listeners later in the show. Hello, everyone. It's Lee Green, and welcome back to the Stairway to CEO podcast. It's my mission to bring you real, honest, and unfiltered interviews with some of the most innovative founders and CEOs from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 83 of the Steroid CEO podcast. I'm your host, Lee Green. And today I spoke with Breezy Griffith, the co-founder and CEO of Skinny Dipped. Skinny Dipped is committed to creating delicious snacks with way less sugar and no dirty secrets. Available nationwide at top retailers, including Target, Walmart, Whole Foods, Wegmans, and more, all Skinny Dip products are made with non-GMO ingredients, are gluten-free, and contain no stevia, sugar alcohols, or artificial sweeteners. In this episode, Breezy shares her entrepreneurial journey from growing up in Seattle with parents who produced the hit show Bill Nye the Science Guy, to starting her first business selling sorbet, to starting Skinny Dipped with her mom after her sister's friend was diagnosed with terminal cancer at just 17 years old. We talk about what it was like to rebrand the company, how they got into Target, and why it's important to take your time when hiring for your team. If you like what you're hearing on the Stairway to CEO podcast, don't forget to click subscribe or text me at 310-510-6044 to tell me your favorite brand or episode or simply say hi. I'd love to hear from you and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Breezy. Thank you so much for joining the show. I'm really excited in hearing your amazing story and building Skinny Dipped. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Lee. Really excited to be here and share a bit more about our story and how we came to be. Awesome. So let's start way back. Where are you from originally? Uh, originally from Seattle. That's where I was born and raised. It's also um, where Skitty Dipped was born. All right. And so when you were a kid, were you entrepreneurial? Oh, always. It's in, been in my blood since day one. You know, I used to try to sell anything I possibly could in front of the house to poor passer buyers, um, including, you know, rocks that I would unearth in the backyard and then try to sell for a dollar. So yes, very much so in my blood. <laughs> so you were trying to sell rocks. What else were you trying to sell? <laughs> I think as time went on, you know, I, uh, all through my teens and kind of early twenties, I always had 
unique out of the box jobs. And, and eventually I, I had kind of a series of small scale businesses that I launched from uh, a kind of organic sorbet that I did when I was living in Miami to baking a bunch of different kind of custom cupcakes and cakes when I lived in New York and delivering them all over the city. So, you know, I think over the course of a decade or so, I just started to kind of accumulate some of these, you know, entrepreneurial skills uh, via my experiences. And food, why did you choose food? Food was um, a natural place to land because I started skinny dipped with my mom. Food is a big part of who we are as a family. For us, it brings people together and, you know, it's about kind of community and gathering where you're a fan of not only good for you food, but also equally as delicious and tasty. So that was just kind of a, a natural match. And so what are some of those unique out of the box jobs that you're talking about? What were some of your first gigs? So back in the days when we sold phone books, <laughs> I think it was like one of my first jobs. And maybe I had a, a summer of, you know, of I used to teach kayaking. But after that, I um, I opened the phone book and I was like, well, wouldn't it be great to be able to like work on a boat in the summer and yeah. charter companies, right? And That's I, my style. Right? Exactly. Yes. And if I could just live on a boat. That'd be fun. <laughs> it's got to be a big boat. Otherwise, I'd get too sick. But, you know. You and me both. So I um I looked up this guy who had a charter company. I called him. I was like, are you hiring? And he's like, in fact, I am. My assumption was it was for some sort of like, you know, welcome aboard. And he took me under his wing and I learned how to drive a 50 foot boat and spent my summers taking people up through the San Juans, which are a group of islands off the coast in the Northwest and kind of logging all these hours towards my captain's license. And so that was, you know, just kind of one of many unique jobs that for some reason I always kind of seeked out. Did you get your captain's license then? I did all my hours and didn't do my very final test, but I had hours to be able to drive a 200 ton barge. So it was, it was fun. Yeah. 50 feet. That's, that's no joke. <laughs> that, that's a uh, pretty hard to like maneuver <laughs> around. That's awesome. So where did you end up going to school? So I went to school through high school in Seattle. And then after that, I went to university of British Columbia up in Canada. So it's like BC has a special spot in my heart. It was a great school, both for the academics um, and also because it was just really close to nature. It's a gorgeous campus. I spent a lot of time up in Whistler. And and yeah, so I rode up there for my first year um, competitively. And, and then I kind of focused on my studies and did a lot of work in philosophy, which like never in a billion years would I've thought that's where I'd landed. But for some reason, it exercised my brain in a way that I really enjoyed. And so, yeah, so I, that's where I, um, I got my degree. So you were a rower. Yes, I was a rower. All right. And so that's why, so did they must've had a good program. Cause I'm thinking why Canada, <laughs> how did that happen? Yeah, no, they had a really good program. It was also felt like it was not home, but close enough to home too. So it felt like the right distance. Also a school that had a big focus on uh, it's kind of very diverse and people um, kind of like a big international community from different parts of the world. So yeah, I enjoyed it. Awesome. And so when you were in school, were you interning or what was the plan? What did you want to do with your philosophy degree? 
Ah, uh, yes. No, uh, it was actually, a, it was a degree and it was a mixture of philosophy and poli and economics, which is probably a reflection of my personality. But I really, honestly, I didn't know. I knew that I wanted to go to school and get an education, have the experience of going to college. And I think I just, I wanted to try to open as many doors as I could. And towards maybe like my latter year. So it's when I started to realize that what I really wanted to do was start something of my own. And I think, again, you know, back to that being in your DNA, that had kind of been all along. It just took me a moment to kind of say it out loud. And when, when was that moment? Do you remember where you were? What were you doing when you were, when it just kind of clicked and you're like, this is, I just have to do this. I honestly don't know if I ever had a moment, but it was just more that just how I was wired from day one, which is kind of almost like assumed. And I just hadn't said it out loud to people. And I think that over time, as I started to realize, oh, you know, I didn't have this draw towards a particular profession or career. It was, it became evident that, you know, what that meant for me was I had a, you know, there was a future of entrepreneurship ahead. Were you, when were you kind of, inter- I know you were entrepreneurial as a kid, but did you have family members that were entrepreneurs or how did the seed kind of get planted that this was an option for you? Well, I think for one, I would credit my parents for, in a big way, for just kind of my entire life, both my sister and I, just fostering kind of an openness to our thinking, the idea of you can do anything that you set your mind to. You know, they were an incredible support system for us. So I've always felt as though, you know, and I feel very grateful for this, that we could take risk and, you know, and we could fail um, and we could get back up and try again. So I think that that was kind of modeled to me from an early age. And while my parents, well, now my, my mom is big time entrepreneur because we started skinny dip together, but, you know, again, they've both, they were um, television producers. And so they also had kind of out of the box jobs and experiences. They spent, you know, a ton of time internationally and overseas in different cultures. And so I think that this idea or acceptance of, entrepreneurship and kind of the the unknown that comes with that was just really fostered in our family. That's pretty cool. I feel like I came from a family that we it was always unknown and my parents were like, you're not doing that. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. You want to have that steady paycheck, like just go be a teacher or a nurse. <laughs> that makes it, I'm sure that makes, you know, taking that leap a little bit harder, right? Yeah, I guess. I guess I just didn't pay much attention. I, I learned that I, le- I learned to stop listening to my parents pretty early. So, <laughs> you know, once you do that, like it doesn't matter what they say. So that I learned that I'm happy and grateful. I learned that lesson pretty early to just like not listen to your parents. <laughs> oh, gosh. And I always say, oh, I should listen. I should listen to my parents more. I should always listen to my mother who was right about, you know, she wanted to take skinny dipped and launch it in the farmer's market. And sometimes I think about how lovely that would have been. I'd be like sitting in the sun and it would be far <laughs> less stressful. <laughs> so you said no to the farmer's market, I assume. Oh, I, yes, I am. I'm the accelerator pedal in the business. And, and my mom is the one that, that she's like, yes, exactly. Which is <laughs> very important. <laughs> right. That's funny. So why are you the fire? And she's like water. I I mean, I think those, that's just like kind of our personalities, but like, it's been this incredible partnership, um, marriage of skill sets. And over time, I think we've both learned that these kind of two different things that we bring to the table is part of why we've been so successful. You know, we often use the analogy that like, 
we're in this car and we're like driving down this windy mountain road. And I literally have my foot, you know, on the accelerator pedal and she's got her hand on the Going emergency downhill. brake. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and so I think that they're both important and equally so. And so, you know, we've really over time kind of cultivated this mutual respect for each other and, and what we bring to the business in that way. So I'm curious, you mentioned your parents were TV producers. Any TV shows we'd know? My dad was a, a, a big producer on the Bill Nye, the Science Guy show. So No way. Yeah. So um, <laughs> throwback, right? Um, throwback. Yes, for sure. <laughs> I am that era, 100%. So, <laughs> so that, and, and they've done a ton of public television travel, kind of documentary-based things over the years. Some really cool stuff that, again, fueled their love for travel in the world. Amazing. So kind of going back college, you know, you, you graduate, uh, you decide I'm an entrepreneur. I got to start something. How did you figure out what it is you wanted to start? Well, I think that like, just to like, maybe rewind that a tiny bit. I think that I realized that I, in college, that I wasn't going to be on a normal path. I'm not sure that I ever said to myself, oh, I'm going to start a business. I think that was kind of like an evolution of that thinking for me. So I, I did some traveling overseas, um, spent some time in Cambodia and Thailand and Australia and, and started to kind of, you know, I love travel, um, kind of fill that, fill that kind of part of my heart that wanted to go and see parts of the world. And, and then I ended up landing in, in Miami. And I think that was for me a bit of a turning point because I told myself that, you know, I'd in order to give myself some, you know, some spending money through college, I'd worked in the service industry, which I think was actually an incredible experience because it's hard work. Anyone who's served tables or, you know, been a bartender realizes that it's just hard work. Sorry, you were a waitress, I assume, at a restaurant in Miami? Uh, no, I was actually in, in Whistler. I spent my time bartending and, and serving and all through kind of college. And so, you know, I, I really... And, and to this day, I hard work like is really important to me. We wouldn't be where we were if it wasn't for just really, really put your head down hard work. And so I think the service industry taught me that and showed me what it meant to work hard. And when I landed in Miami, I kind of told myself that I'd work in the service industry, but I, I kind of wanted to be able to do something beyond that. And so I gave myself six months while I started to figure out, okay, well, what is it that could give me some spending money without relying on someone else writing me a check. And, and that's when kind of my first idea w was born, which is that I saw this void in the market for an organic sorbet. And so I rented this. The only thing I could afford was a little catering company in downtown Miami from midnight to 5 a.m., where I would, you know, drive myself over there with all my ingredients. And then I had my teeny tiny, you know, pint sized ice cream maker that I would make batch after batch. And I would, and then I would kind of put them in these single serves. I tote them to the farmer's market and I'd sell them. And, and it was, I mean, definition of hard work. Yeah. So you're, we are making it at night and then going during the day to sell it. Yep. And 
pretty quickly, I had a, one of the farmer's markets was in the parking lot of a hospital in Miami. And I had a group of doc, doctors approach me and say, Hey, like your product's perfect for patients in recovery, especially for cancer, because it didn't have any additives. And can we place an order for it? And I got this order and I was like, I mean, it was going to take me like six months in my little, you know, with my little teeny right. tiny ice cream maker. All to day, make all it. night. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All day for six months straight. No eating, sleeping. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and so it was kind of like one of those moments where I went, huh, well, I haven't quite thought this all through yet. And that ended up kind of, I, I realized that maybe I hadn't thought that through and it was time to kind of put a little bit more thought into the next venture like how could I scale it or was I even making money or was I losing money? And so that was kind of the first of a couple business ventures that where I, I always say that I started to kind of fill my tool chest with tools. And so what, what was the tool chest? What did you have to learn to get to the next step? Oh gosh, everything. I mean, everything from, I think, I think what comes naturally to me is the kind of vision side of things the dreaming up the idea and my personality is to run at something with like 110%. So when I decide to do something, I'm committed to doing it and I'll work really hard to make it happen. The details are harder for me. And so I think part of those experiences taught me that, well, maybe not as sexy or fun, there's things to figure out like, are you losing money or making money? Have you set up legal entities? Do you have, you know, kind of all these things that are, you know, in my mind, maybe not as fun, but are equally important. And so I think I consider those to be tools, like those experiences became tools, even as I built Skinny Dipped. I mean, I continue to add tools to the, to the toolbox. You know, how do you, who do you bring onto the team? How do you know that they're the right fit? All these things that come with experience. Absolutely. And I want to hear more about those insights, but I want to hear, how did you go from Sorbet to Skinny Dipped? So I, after sorbet, I spent time in New York where I did you know, a similar thing. And I did these little cakes and pastries all out of my teeny tiny New York apartment. And the idea for Skinny Dipped was born because my sister, my sister who's younger than me, her best friend at the time was diagnosed with, um, he was 17 and he was diagnosed with a rare cancer terminal. And my family and my sister were still in Seattle. I was in New York and I started coming back, going, you know, coming back to Seattle to support my family while we supported him and his family. And, and he passed away just after his 18th birthday. And that is, um, it just changes you. And it makes you, it makes you think harder about where you want to put your time and your effort. And I think for us as a family, we realized that we wanted to be able to spend more time together. I think for me and my mom, uh, while in different times of our life, we were in a similar place. We were both ready for a bit of an adventure. We were both ready to grow something. And so we kind of came together and said like, well, you know, what can we do together as mom and daughter? And that's where the idea for Skinny Dipped was kind of seated, the, the inklings of, of Skinny Dipped. And so I think a lot of people come up with, I want to do something. Let's do something together. Maybe you find your partner, you know that you could build a great business together, but coming up with that idea that you're passionate enough to really push through barriers to make happen. How did you come up with that idea? Where did it start and what was the spark for it? So I think at the time 
um, when I think about food and beverage then, because this was about seven years ago, seven, eight years ago, the, when like the very first time we started talking about it, there was this kind of rise in food and beverage of disruptive companies that were starting, whether it was pop chips or vitamin water. I think I felt like there was this opportunity for disruption and it was just the early stages of kind of what we see now, right? A market full of innovative, you know, clean, healthy, delicious products. And these were the earlier years. And I think for both me and my mom, we kind of quickly realized that we were eating and snacking in the same way in the afternoon. We'd eat a handful of almonds, but almonds by themselves were boring. And so we'd add a little bit of chocolate and we kind of felt like there was like a a void in the market for a snack that was every bit as delicious as it was healthy. And I think kind at the time was doing a really good job, but they were a bar. And I think that especially being a woman, like sometimes it's like, you just don't want to eat another bar because you've eaten like 9 jillion bars in your life. And (laughs) I think for us, it was like, okay, how, like, let's think about the product that we ourselves would want to eat every day. And, and that's kind of where we started, you know, thinking about this idea, this marriage between nuts and chocolate, and how could we re-envision that to be something that wasn't a candy, like you get in the bulk bins that we're all kind of used to, but was more, what was a balanced snack. And so we just started, I mean, this was born on the dining room table as grassroots as you can get. And so we just started experimenting. So you guys were kind of taking some nuts, dipping it in chocolate, I guess, just for for fun. And then you're kind of like, wait a minute, this could be something bigger than just a kind bar. This could be even bigger than that. It can be its own thing, right? How did you kind of like develop this bigger vision off of dipping some nuts in chocolate? For me, dreaming big, dreaming and scheming like that is like, that's my lifeblood. That's just constantly running through my brain. So for me, the idea was always there from, from the very earliest outset of this, I was like, oh, we can make this, you know, we can make a big, we can grow a big brand. And for my mom, and this is where the balance come in, comes in, you know, her perspective was a little bit different. And she was like, we can make an amazing product that people want to eat. And we feel good about with a super clean ingredient deck, something that she would feed to, you know, her kids, me and my sister, to our family, to our friends. And so then it it was the marriage of those things that has been part of the magic. And so I think we set out and we started to create the product. It was always in my mind that we were setting out to grow a business. Then we just had to start to put these kind of initial steps in place to make the dream more of a reality. And so you guys went through a rebrand and that might be skipping ahead a little bit, but I'd love to hear why you guys decided to rebrand. So back to that, like very grassroots, I mean, we didn't, we didn't start with my parents took money out of their, you know, a little bit of money out of their retirement. That's how Skinny Dip was funded very initially. We later had two co-founders, my two best friends join us and we all threw a little bit more money in, but that's, that's what we had. And so when it came to our packaging, we couldn't afford a branding agency. I mean, not even close. So, you know, we had to be scrappy and we came up with this initial package um, and we're actually using the, the name that's our legal entity, which was originally we were wild things, skinny dipped almonds. And one of our early investors pushed us to pick one of the names. He fought hard for skinny dipped and we all landed there because 
it did some heavy lifting for us on the shelf because it talks a little bit about the product and we never refer skinny for us has nothing to do with weight or calories. It really refers to like a thin layer of chocolate on the nut or on anything we do now. And so we, so we ended up rebranding because we wanted to push skinny dipped forward as the brand name. And we wanted a package that matched that, that had this kind of this, I want to say like boldness attached to it that I think we also felt as women founders, in particular, mom and daughter, because you hear about so many father, son companies and very few mother, daughter companies. So I think we wanted to like match that feeling, um, match our package to that, to that feeling we had as, as women entrepreneurs. And so, uh, we worked with our investors internally and the package was the initial package kind of the rebranded package was a combination of, of us working together with our investors. So you guys, I think, worked on the business under the Wild Thing Snacks name for like nine years or something before rebranding. Is that accurate? Six years ago, we made our first sale. And probably a year and a half later, we rebranded. Oh, okay. So it wasn't that much longer until you guys rebranded. So talk to me about growing the business in the early days. You know, you get that first sell. Uh, you sold your first product. I mean, at what point were you, and I know that you, you know, you're evangelist about your product. You had this big vision. You probably kind of already felt like it could be big, but when was the validation? What was your, when did you realize that there was a proof of concept? Well, so, uh, you know, this is when our two co-founders joined. We all essentially moved in with my parents under one roof, fun for them. Um, (laughs) and so, the very early stages, like the first year and a half, I want to say, I mean, when I tell you we were selling door to door, um, in particular, our co-founder Chrissy, I mean, we would, you know, she'd get in the car every morning, pack up a bunch of nuts in the back seat, and go door to door in Seattle and try to look for a store manager to sell them in. And sometimes we would be extra overwhelming and we would all show up together. And then I feel like we would just be so overwhelming that the manager had to say yes. <laughs> They're like, there's like five people in here right, right. now trying to say- <laughs> And I mean, this was like, this was like, hey, we have this new product, skinny dipped. Great news. We have them in the trunk. We take, you know, cash or check. Ash is preferred. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so those were the very early stages. And we, and so because we were doing everything ourselves, we were learning so much, learning about our product, learning about our consumer, learning about how buyers reacted. How did they react? I'm curious. How did they react when you like came in there with like four friends and you're trying to sell some nuts with chocolate on it or something? And they're like, you know, what was what were some of the learnings that you had in those early days about how to approach retailers or, or customers? It was such a genuine, real story. We had a lot of people that were impressed that, you know, we didn't have a lot of money behind us or anything. We didn't have a strategy. Like we just believed in what we were doing. And I think that showed. And And the other thing was, is that, you know, and to this day, it has served us so well. Our product is excellent and people fell in love with it and buyers fell in love with it and they would try it and they would get behind it. And so I think those two things together is what helped to kind of, you know, give us that first boost into that, into the local market. And, and, you know, to that point of like believing in it, I mean, we would go to these managers and be like, and if you take our product. We'll do demos twice a week, three times a week. And we would, we would all four, including my mom, show up three or four times a week at a little corner store in Seattle and demo the product. And like, I don't know how many, probably hundreds of demos I've done. 
So I think that gave us that first boost into the local market. And then our first, you know, to your earlier question about like, well, what was the moment where we had the proof of concept? So we felt like, okay, we have something here. It's working. You know, we approached Target and, and Target, we were able to get a meeting. Uh, We met with them. We were kind of hoping that we would get into a couple hundred stores of their kind of like health and wellness stores and more maybe where they have bigger sets and they're testing new items. And about a month or two after our first meeting, we got a call back and the buyer said, hey, can you come back to Minneapolis? So my mom and I jumped on a plane. We went to Minneapolis. She sat us down and she said, I believe in your product. I love it. She said, but I have to ask you a question first. Like, do you have any supply chain challenges? And I was like, no, mm-mm. like fully dialed. Meanwhile, we had plenty of supply chain challenges. We didn't even have a co-man at the time. And so she said, so I believe in you guys. I believe in the product. I want to bring you in chain wide with all of your SKUs in 12 weeks. That was a turning point for the brand in so many ways. One, because we knew that this was our opportunity. It was our opportunity to launch in a national market. It also meant that we had to get our shit together and we had to find a manufacturer and we had no time to do that. And we had to grow up. And then third, we knew that no matter what, we could not fail. Failure was not an option at that point. And so we turned our attention to producing executing, marketing against that. And that proved to be a really, uh, that effort proved to be really kind of critical for us. It was just, it was, just a, it was a pivotal point in the brand. Yeah. It sounds like a, a game-changing moment to get that kind of offer from Target, but you have 12 weeks to figure it out. I mean, so tell me about all the things that went wrong and trying to get it done in 12 weeks. Oh, so many things. So for one, we had to find a, a secondary manufacturer because where we were with our first manufacturer has been uh, an excellent partner to us. Actually, was the um, we're still partnered. Um, you know, kind of took our product from uh, an idea to you know we commercialized it, but we didn't have enough capacity there to to service Target. So we had to look for a new co-man. We identified one in Washington. We spent day after day doing R&D, trying to get the product right. And the biggest hurdle came when, I'll never forget it. We, uh, it was three days before Thanksgiving. Yeah, three days before Thanksgiving. And it's the first time, you know, we were small previously. We've just been buying almonds by the pallet and we had to order a full truckload of almonds. And they arrived and my mom had been the first one down to the Coman and she was trying the almonds as she always does. And I came in and I just like, she was like white in the face and she was just like, we have a problem. I was like, Oh no. She's like, the nuts are rancid. And my poor mom was sitting there with like hundreds of nuts that she, you know, eaten, you know, been biting through because we were hoping that it wasn't the case, but they were, they're rancid. And it happens with nuts because, you know, you can't tell and, Sometimes they don't have enough moisture that, you know, it's just, it's just part of working with nuts, but, but this was our moment. And this was three days before Thanksgiving and we had no almonds for target. And yeah, the buyer who had just promised that we had absolutely no supply chain problems. So that was one of those moments. It's probably as an entrepreneur, 
My biggest strength is probably like problem solving during crisis. Like, so I just did what I do and I called every single person that I knew in the industry to find a truckload of almonds that somebody would ship to us on a dedicated truck in three days. And eventually enough calls later, we found one. We made that ship date to Target just barely, but we made it. (laughs) Wow. Sounds like a few sleepless weeks, I'm sure. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And now we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Did you know that brands like Magic Spoon, Mudwater, and Caraway get an average of 20 times the return on their investment when using Malomo? Customers track their orders four to five times before it even gets to their door. And instead of sending them to the carrier's tracking page, Malomo built a tool to help brands optimize post-purchase marketing. Use order status emails and tracking pages to spur engagement and drive additional purchases by showing new products, sales, subscription options, and other engaging content simply by being proactive in managing delivery communications. Get 30% off your first three months with Malomo today by going to gomalomo.com slash stairway to CEO. While most people living in colder climates are getting ready to bring their outdoor furniture indoors to protect it during the winter months, customers of the popular brand Outer don't have to lift a finger. After all, outdoor furniture should stay outdoors, right? Made from durable materials like all-weather wicker that withstands temperatures down to negative 220 degrees with a marine-grade frame and legs, Outer ensures your outdoor sofa will stay good as new until spring and for many years to come. So if you're preparing to bundle up this winter, go get some marshmallows to roast over the fire pit and enjoy some cozy time outdoors with Outer. You can get $200 off on furniture purchases by using the code STAIRWAY200 on liveouter.com. That's $200 off amazing furniture using the code STAIRWAY200 on liveouter.com. I am Alexandria Collis, Director of Customer Experience for Princess Polly. I'm focused on our strategy and innovation in the CX department here at Princess Polly. I have a quote and I always tell our CX leaders that customer experience is the heart of an organization and we pump the blood and deliver the oxygen to the vital organs in the business to help them thrive and grow stronger. The gorgeous platform allows our agents a seamless place to just do it all. We are really there for the customer every step of the way if they want. Our customers expect quality and efficiency where they are. So the real question is, how do you get quality and efficiency across every single platform? And then once you have it, how do you maintain it? And I believe that with the Gorgeous platform, we can do that. If you're interested in learning more about Gorgeous, go to gorgeous.com and mention podcast for two months free. Thank you so much to our amazing sponsors. I hope you're able to take advantage of these exclusive deals designed just for you. Now let's get back to the show. So along the lines of of challenges, what's the hardest, what have you learned the hard way? Like in, you know, all this toolbox stuff, you know, you're constantly learning as a founder and growing and expanding and just like constantly being stretched. You know, what are, what's something that you've learned kind of the hard way? And it was a good thing to learn, but it was tough to go through. I learned so much and I feel like every day I continue to learn. That's just what it's like to grow a business. But I think that One thing definitely stands out, which is building your team. That's been a painful process for us. Um, It's been really difficult. And I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot about how important it is to your success, having the right people in place, 
not just from a skills skill set perspective, but also from personality to mindset. A lot of people, I think it sounds dreamy to be part of a startup, but it's really hard and it's not for everyone. And it's difficult, not just because it's a lot of work, but because, you know, like we talked about earlier, you, you're living in this place of unknown and kind of mystery and gray or however you want to describe it. And that's not a comfortable place for everyone. It's not a natural place for everyone to be. And so I think I've learned that to take time with hiring and, you know, I'm sure certain people on our team would tell us that they went through a very, you know, a long interview process and, and, you know, whether it was, you know, glass of wine and a coffee and chats and everything, but that has served us so well in the end. And, and that was a, that was a learning experience. We had to course correct at one point, because at one point we had, we hired so rapidly as the business was growing and that didn't work out for us um, because we hadn't taken the time to kind of do the due diligence that it required to make sure that everyone we were hiring was a fit for Skinny Dip, was a fit for what we were trying to do that shared the mission that, and, and that would be a, you know, a, a great addition to the team and vice versa, that we were a good match for them. So, so just kind of going into like that hard lesson, I mean, was what went wrong? You were hiring the wrong people They you were hiring too fast. They weren't, you know, what was it that you, I mean, these are all kind of like high level things I think that are happening because of something that went wrong. What was the thing that went really wrong? So when, when the brand was growing really, really quickly, and we were going from this like team of, you know, the four, four founders and co-founders to a couple of people to all of a sudden 20 something people in a matter of months, we had made the choice to hire a group of people that had previously been very successful in CPG all together as one. And so instead of kind of spending the time with each person individually, we hired them as like a collective. And what we didn't take the time to consider was how you bridge the gap between kind of a culture that they'd all previously been a part of and then who we were in the skinny dipped culture. And because we rushed that process, we missed that kind of hiring people as individuals versus as a group of people that had been successful together. I see. Okay. Interesting. Curious your experience in fundraising. Tell us about the challenges that you've faced in finding dollars from investors. We've been partnered with our largest investor since the, you know, not the very earliest days, but pretty early on in the brand's evolution. We kind of had a a chance meeting with an investor who tried the product and believed in the product. And he became kind of an early cheerleader. And when he went on to start, um, you know, to to launch a fund, we were able to secure kind of a million dollars that that fund had set aside for a startup knowing that most of the fund's investments were in more established brands. And that was kind of our foot in the door in terms of like ongoing funding. I think one of the challenges has been that we've kind of taken, we've, we've done some rounds of funding kind of every 18 months or so. Um, I probably would have thought about, you know, how to, you know, at, at what points were the right points to bring in money along the way um, and done that a little bit differently, but we've been, We've been fortunate that that partnership has supported the grand, the brand's growth along the way. We've had other investors as well, but they, you know, they've been a lead investor for us. And I think that, you know, just all along the way, whether it's our current lead investor or any new investors we brought in, we always aim to be our true selves, to share our passion for the brand and what we're doing. 
be transparent with the things that we're not willing to move on. Like, for example, we don't use natural flavors. It would be a lot cheaper to use natural flavors, but we don't. It's not what we do. We're not willing to make that change. And so I've learned along the way about being transparent with investors so that those things aren't surprises later down the line. I know that 2020 probably brought a ton of challenges. If you want to talk about COVID and how that impacted the business. Yeah. I mean, challenges for everyone and for sure for us. I'm really proud of our team as a whole. We weathered that storm. Not only did we weather it, but we grew the brand significantly during that time. I think from a challenge perspective, supply chain was the most challenged in some ways and continues to be just everything from not being able to get trucks places to container ships waiting in ports to be unloaded. Our supply chain team has done a really great job kind of solving problems uniquely and trying to think about, you know, if not A, then, you know, B, sales. You know, there was a time there that was really challenging when, you know, no one would put anything on the shelf but toilet paper and paper towels. And so I think that forced us to think differently about the market. Um, I think it accelerated what was naturally happening in the market, but it forced us to do it quickly, which was people wanted to be able to shop in this kind of, you know, I call it like an omni shopper. You wanted to be able to buy things online, anything you wanted online, right? You wanted to be able to show it, show up on a retailer site or Amazon. You also wanted to be able to find it in store. So I think we had to shift our thinking from very focused kind of retail presence to retail and e-commerce presence. Um, We've really grown our e-commerce because of that. And then I think uh, last and probably most important was that uh, it forced us to work, learn to work remotely, which we've done. We've had so much success and I don't think remote work can replace, you know, everything, but I think it, I think that a lot of it can be done extremely effectively remotely. And our team has proven that. Yeah, I actually feel like, well, and I think it's proven that people are more productive, actually. (laughs) I mean, I know for myself, I can barely take a lunch break, you know, or drink enough water. It's it's insane. There's no like getting up from the desk and, oh, hey, you want to grab a coffee? And, you know, there's no distraction. So it's actually just, I think I find myself having to kind of try to make space (laughs) so that I can have lunch and function as a human rather than, you know, I don't know how people worked in an office anymore. Like, how did they get anything done? You're completely right. And I think the danger sometimes of remote work is that inability to find uh, a separation between, you know, work and home because so easily now our days bleed into dinner or after dinner and there's less separation. So I think the risk for burnout in some ways is actually higher. Totally agree. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, because if you think about it, I have Zoom call meetings, like sometimes back to back to back. And I'm like, you know, I try to put in buffers. They always run late. So then you're just never getting off your screen. You're never out of your seat for like hours at a time. And then, yeah, just like, how do you even get any work done when you're just having meetings all the time too? Yeah, it's crazy. It's, It's hard. It's kind of like an odd thing to adjust to, to try to avoid being burnt out because it's constant. Anyways, I wanted to thank you for sending me some amazing product. I have definitely tried them and it is, you're right. The product is really, really amazing. I have all this chocolate now, almond, sea salt, dark chocolate bar. You know, we've got these milk chocolate peanut butter cups, which are insane. (laughs) Love peanut butter. There's like, this is what I thought was funny. Peanut butter and jelly peanuts. (laughs) Have you tried those yet? I haven't tried them yet, but I have to because... 
but I'm, I have like a little, like my mom used to put too much jelly on the peanut butter and jelly sandwich <laughs> when I was a kid. So I'm a little like traumatized by over jelly on peanut butter. Like it's a weird mix for me. It has to be very balanced or I'm not going to like it. <laughs> so. Well, here's the good news. It, there's, it's a peanut with stra- real strawberry on it. I think you're going to like, it's like a PB and J without the bread. It's our most fun skew. I think amazing. I'm yeah. I'm super excited <laughs> to try it. But yeah, you guys have such insane products. There's another one over here. Lemon Bliss almonds. I mean, it's really cool. You guys have gotten so creative with nuts. I mean, <laughs> really, really awesome. I'm excited to see what you guys have coming out next. I don't know. What is next? Can you tell us? I mean, right now, well, first of all, I would give my, you know, my mom kudos for the products. She's the genius behind all the things that get cooked up to this day, still in our home wow. kitchen. Never, go yeah. mom. Yeah, go mom, right? I'm just a taster. I do a lot of tasting. But I think next is just, uh, I think our whole team is excited to focus on bringing all those products to market, you know, to consumers, whether it's on shelves or via our e-commerce. So that's our, that's our big focus for this year, because now, you know, we've moved from originally almonds, cashews, peanuts, and now we're doing peanut butter cups, chocolate bars, baking bits. And you guys are in retailers, Amazon, Target, Thrive Market, Walmart, Kroger, where else? Yeah. I mean, uh, our nut line is, you know, should be at any retailer kind of, you know, across the nation, wherever you are, our new products, our cups and bars, um, and our baking bits are, uh, starting to come, you know, you'll start to see them pop up on shelves. Our baking bits um, have launched in Walmart, which is really exciting. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time. What kind? You've already provided a lot of insight and advice, but what final advice do you have for aspiring entrepreneurs tuning in? Don't give up. It's hard. Like I think, you know, back to that point of it's not for everyone. You know, you have to have a thick skin as an entrepreneur. I would say it's a it's a roller coaster ride. It's a series of high highs and low lows. I think one thing that has been instrumental to our, not just our success, but our sanity as humans has been having, sharing this with not only my mom, but my two best friends as co-founders, because there's moments where you just, somebody has to pick somebody else up and say, it's going to be okay. We're going to make it. And, you know, and just as important, you have those, you know, those high moments where all you want to do is like, you know, pop a bottle of champagne and celebrate. And so I think having, whether it's co-founders or just people that are along like the journey with you, I think being able to share that has been really helpful. I can't really imagine what that's like, but it sounds amazing. <laughs> I, was a female, I was a solo founder of my company. and it was like, I have so hard. much respect and admiration for that. Incredible. Not recommended. But hey, if you don't have the choice, what else are you going to do? Not doing Great. it wasn't an option, you know? You got to go so, for it. Just got to do it. Yeah. It wasn't ideally how I pictured it, but it happened, you know? <laughs> You're crushing it. I love it. Well, that business is gone now. I, that was acquired in 2019. And um, that was a while ago. But yeah, that was a wild ride. Solo ride in building it. Yeah. But thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for joining us, Breezy. Thank you, Lee. I really appreciate it. And uh, take care and let us know what you think about all the new products. Awesome. Will do.
thank you so much for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. And if you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at www.stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends, leave us a review, and follow us on Instagram at Stairway to CEO. Until next time, guys, keep on climbing.